Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. The difference between how things begin and how they end is often one of life's biggest surprises. A grand and powerful life can end in a hospital room with little fanfare. A relationship can begin in the flames of passion and declarations of love and suffocate over time under the pressures of life until all that are left are legal documents. Sometimes it works the other way around. One shared look across the room can turn into a friendship, or maybe more. One pastor with a baby in tow can show up to worship and turn into your executive pastor years later. The baby can grow up be joined by a sister who reads scripture powerfully, and they can learn to love Jesus at your feet. And one day, a call to feed his sheep in a new way, in a new place can come, and God will be faithful in both the old and the new places, in the beginnings and the endings. Let's pause for a moment and pray that the seeds of the gospel planted in our hearts today 
by the power of God's word will grow in us and change us. Father God, thank you for the privilege of telling our stories. Help us to make your word the center of our attention and clear our minds of all that would distract us from the questions Jesus asked. Most of all, illumine our minds and hearts so that we might know Jesus better and love him more. In his name we pray. Amen. In all kinds of lives, tiny seeds of faith can blossom into deep and lasting relationships with Jesus. Sometimes many, many years after the first seeds were planted, situations that seemed hopeless can end much differently than they began. And epic failures of discipleship can end in servant leadership. The Gospel of John begins with one of the most sweeping cosmic statements in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. John did not bury the lead. But that same gospel ends on a beach with a conversation between one man and Jesus. Every ounce of cosmic force in the prologue to John's gospel is still true and still reverberating throughout the universe, and yet there is an epilogue where the risen Jesus pastors one deeply flawed disciple and points the way to what comes next for him, for you, and for me. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at questions Jesus asked. Each of those questions has its own story. Today, the question is one that Jesus posed to Simon Peter, whom you may have heard called Saint Peter or the Apostle Peter. Peter was in the innermost circle of Jesus' disciples. But like all the disciples, he was at a loss after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Peter and the other disciples have decided to go fishing because that's really the only life they knew before they met Jesus. Even the fishing is them a miraculous catch of fish. They joyfully realize that the Lord is back, and they break bread together. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus began a hard conversation with Peter. This little detail about breakfast is such a human touch. Incarnation means that the eternal Son of God was so present in the flesh 
and so aware of the human condition that in modern terms he let P Peter have his coffee first. This is the Jesus who understands our physical needs, our temptations, and the daily reality of our earthly experience. And now we get to the question. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is an uncomfortable opener on multiple levels. First, Jesus is calling Peter by his first name in that same way that moms everywhere use their children's full names when they're in trouble. But calling him Simon, son of John, is also significant because this is how Jesus first addressed Peter when he first met him. Jesus calling Peter Simon, son of John, at this point, would have instantly brought Peter back to that moment when he met Jesus. When they first met, Jesus knew who Peter was before Peter even opened his mouth. The good shepherd knows, Jesus asked, was a probing one. The first time, Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? Most people agree that Jesus means, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples do? You have to know a little bit about Peter's background to know just how uncomfortable this question was. In the hours leading up to Jesus' arrest and cru eventual crucifixion, when they were all at the Last Supper together, Peter was the one who boasted, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. And Jesus knew that was an empty promise and that Peter would deny him three times that very night. This time, Peter is humble enough to set aside any bravado or comparison to the other disciples. He just says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Having failed spectacularly to love the Lord more than his own skin when push came to shove, Peter no longer answers based on that bravado. He appeals to Jesus' knowledge of the heart. In a parallel to the three times Peter denied Jesus, Jesus now presses Peter three times to answer the question, do you love me? This must have been so convicting, but it was also spiritual rehab. Every time Jesus asked the question, Peter had to face his failure to the point that it hurt. Every time Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And every time Jesus pointed Peter away from the failure of the past toward a new constructive future. Peter's past did not define him in Jesus' eyes. It was more important that Peter loved Jesus and would follow through on a new commission to care for the flock of believers. This would be Peter's last earthly conversation with Jesus, and Jesus didn't let it go to waste. 
It was a hard conversation, but it was a healing one. That's what spiritual rehab looks like. Jesus' question, do you love me? Might seem pretty simple if he asked us today. Sure, of course we love Jesus. We call ourselves Christian and we're here in church. So yeah, we love Jesus. Like Peter, we might answer a little too fast the first time. What we need to do is pause and look more closely at the question. Scripture is amazingly multidimensional, and sometimes we hear or see something new in a familiar passage. As I was preparing this sermon, I started thinking about all the ways you could voice this question that Jesus asked. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And that last one is the one that's been on my heart and mind the most in recent days. I've read this passage many, many times. You probably have too. I've heard sermons about it, and I've even preached some. But I don't know if I've ever heard Jesus asking the question in my head as, do you love me? Phrased that way, we are forced to think about the one whom we claim to love. You know how awful it feels not to be loved for yourself, but to be loved for someone else's misconception of who you are. In those situations, you want to ask, do you love me? It's the same when Jesus asks, do you love me? Do we love the real Jesus? fully human and fully divine, God incarnate, the teacher of inconvenient truths and demanding ethics, the one who not only lived for us, but died for us and was raised from the dead. Do we love the risen Jesus who reorients his disciples toward the present work of the church and toward his future reign? Or is all of that just too much to grasp and kind of too weird? So we only love the Jesus who fits into our nice little mental boxes. There's a tendency in the modern church, including in our denomination, to want to oversimplify Jesus in a way that makes him easier to love by the modern person. The problem with this trend is that it loves Jesus who preached the Sermon on the Mount, or at least sections of the Sermon on the Mount, but it ignores Jesus of the cross and the resurrection. The trend is to orient people's relationships with Jesus before the cross and the resurrection, but not after. So that's why it's extra important in today's text that it's the risen Lord Jesus, who is asking, do you love me? 
Because to love Jesus fully for who he really is, is to love both the radical teacher and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we answer yes to Jesus' question, do you love me? Then we will be compelled to do more than agree with Jesus. We will be compelled to feed his sheep. To love the real risen Lord Jesus is to have expectations placed on our lives now and to be filled with a spiritual expectation for the future. People of the church and beyond, what you may have missed in all this is just how many other expectations are set aside or put into perspective by the question. Jesus asked, do you love me? The heart of the Christian life is to love Jesus. Jesus did not ask, do you love the trappings of my house? Do you love my committees? Jesus did not ask, do you love feeling important? Do you love my ministers? Or do you love knowing more about me than most other people know? No. Jesus asked, do you love me? If we do not first and foremost love the living, risen Lord, whose spirit moves among us and in us, then everything else we do in his name will be a waste of time. Jesus is asking us every day, do you love me? And it is a question that puts all other questions in perspective. I think one of the cancers, particularly endemic to Washington, is the disease of insecurity. We tend to build our lives around the question, do other people love me? We are desperate to be loved. How many followers do I have? How many likes? Am I attractive? Who's looking at my LinkedIn page? What are my poll numbers? Am I the smartest person in the room? How many books have I read? How many have I bought? How many have I written? What am I invited to? Who knows my name? Who will take my calls? These questions become our obsessions. Jesus' question, do you love me, is more important than all of those questions. It decenters the self, and yet, ironically, at the same time, it points us to the one who does love us perfectly. Next time your insecurities take over your brain, pause for a few minutes and focus on loving Jesus. Think about why you love Jesus. Now, I'm sure there are a bunch of TED Talks that would tell you to cope with a wave of insecurity by pausing and thinking of all the reasons you're so great. But I'm suggesting that you switch up the question. Now, the next thing that happens in this story is that the answer 
to the question also gets switched up. Every time Peter answers Jesus' question, do you love me? He says emphatically, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus has the same strange response. Feed my sheep. To be clear, the sheep are a metaphor for people. People who belong to Jesus, his flock of followers. To feed them or tend them is to take care of them. Feeding the sheep includes providing for them, leading them, guiding them, teaching them, and protecting them. The Roman Catholic tradition emphasizes this passage as one of the biblical affirmations of Peter's apostolic authority to lead the church. Sort of the first pope, if you will. While the Protestant tradition emphasizes that Peter is the model for every believer of what it means to live out our love of Jesus. So for Peter and for us, the bottom line is that to love Jesus is to shape our lives according to his life. And what did Jesus do with his life? If you have a chance later, look back at John chapter 10. It tells us what Jesus did for us using the shepherd and sheep metaphor. Jesus knows the ones who belong to him and trains them to know his voice and to follow him. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the apostle Peter was eventually killed. He did lay down his life. Specifically, he was crucified like Jesus because of his leadership role in the early church. That's what Jesus is foretelling in verses 18 and 19 when it says, you will stretch out your hands and be taken where you do not want to go. We may not be called to be martyred like Peter, although that is a very real risk for Christians in some parts of the world. But if we answer yes to Jesus' question, do you love me? Then we are called to feed his sheep. It may be feeding them at this kind of table. It may be teaching them in Sunday school. It may be giving the resources to make feeding them possible. It may be healing broken bodies or nursing spirits with comfort, food, and friendship. However you are called to feed the sheep, it is likely to be self-sacrificial. When love for Jesus is the motive, you won't even care. When Jesus asked Simon Peter, do you love me? It was not a comfortable question. It was a challenging question, and it still is. But Jesus asked the question as part of his redemptive pastoral work in Peter's life. Jesus knew perfectly well that Peter had failed to trust him, failed to be brave for him in the past, and had failed to love him. And yet, 
In the fleeting post-resurrection days of Jesus' time on earth, the risen Lord of the universe made time to walk on the beach with Peter. Jesus knew Peter's heart, so he gave Peter a fresh start and a job to do. Peter's story did not end the way we might have expected it to on Good Friday. Thanks be to God. Jesus is still asking, do you love me? The real Jesus, not a caricature of him. If you're not sure, get to know him. Let us help. The way your story ends may be very different than the way it began. If you already know that you love Jesus, he still wants you to feed his sheep. Let him lead, and he will show you how in simple, everyday ways. Jesus' parting words in the Gospel of John are, follow me. There are no better words for life with Jesus and no clearer instructions for you as the people of God. There are no human parting words needed if our eyes are fixed on him and our hearts are connected by communion. We will all be following the Good Shepherd home wherever we are. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we do love Jesus. Flawed as we are, thank you for his saving grace and for the call he places on our lives to feed the sheep. Please show us the places and the situations where the people of your flock need us most. Guide and protect us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.